All right, church, good morning to you. How y'all doing? I'm assuming because we have been going through a series called The Way of Wisdom that I'm just assuming you feel wiser now than you did at the beginning of the summer. Amen. We're going to wrap that series up today. And in doing so, I thought in light of wisdom, who is the smartest man, maybe one of the smartest men that ever have lived outside of Solomon? Uh, I, in my own mind, I came up with Albert Einstein. I have a obviously very deep knowledge of people who are smart. <laughs> so he, he, I'm, one name maybe you didn't recognize there. But in light of that, I, I read this true story about Albert Einstein. He'd been on the speaking circuit, if you can imagine, as his name blew up and went viral back in the day. And he got tired of it, and his chauffeur is driving him to another, what they called a, a rubber chicken dinner or something like that, just another speech that he's given a hundred times. And his chauffeur had, had hurt him so many times, he had an idea. He said, hey, boss man, I know you're getting tired of these speaking engagements. Why don't you let me speak for you? I've heard you give the speech so much, I think I could replicate you. Plus, his chauffeur actually looked like him both in external looks and how he carried himself in his manner. And uh, Einstein said, man, that sounds great. So as they approached the building, Einstein put on the chauffeur's cap and jacket, sat at the back of the room and his uh, chauffeur went up and gave a magnificent speech. Uh, afterwards, there was a Q&A, and the very pompous, smartest man in the room, Prof, stood up, and he asked some question about, you know, all kind of stuff like that. <laughs> kind of stuff. And he asked a really smart question, and what I thought was hilarious is the chauffeur looked directly at... Einstein with a steely stare, and he responded to the man's answer with these words. Sir, the answer to that question is so simple. I'm going to let my chauffeur who is sitting in the back answer it for me. <laughs> well, when it comes to answering questions of what is a fool and what is wisdom, it's really best to let God answer those questions because if the smartest or one of the smartest known men to ever walk the face of this earth is not wise, I believe you and I are in trouble. And I prove I, I, it's very sad. I'm not picking on him. I'm just showing you what's consistent. Einstein was not a wise man according to God's wisdom. He's married a gal named Marie. And he wrote a letter to another lady named Marie. He liked the M gals. And he described to this other lady how his love for his wife was misguided and he was grieving over the mislife he could have had with her. Imagine being his wife. 1912, he entered into a relationship with a lady named Elsa, who was the first cousin on his mother's side. He also, and he... Uh, as he divorced Marik, he married Elsa, but three years later, began an affair with his secretary, Betty. And in letters written and released to the Hebrew University Jerusalem School, 
it was noted that he had at least five other ladies on his agenda at all times. I want to be clear. Being wise has nothing to do with your intellectual capabilities. Tony Evans puts it this way. In scripture, foolishness and wisdom are not intellectual issues. They're issues of the heart. They're moral issues. Now, as a reminder, this summer we spent the entire summer in some ways seeing what God says about wisdom in the areas of what? Stewardship, self-control, speech, work, relationships, contentment, integrity. And I don't know about you, but there wasn't one of those areas that I went, I'm good. No, every single area I thought, ugh. I need to grow. I need to change in those areas. So as we wrap up our series, here's what I want to do today. I want to hopefully ask and answer the question, how do you and I learn to be wise? It's one thing to know what wisdom is, but it's another thing to actually be wise and live in according with what God says, which is skill in living in terms of what God says we are to do. So in light of that, I thought I would, first of all, sort of unpack, hopefully give us some clarity around what a fool is and what wisdom is. So we'll know what we're shooting for and what we're not shooting for. And so basically the scriptures lay out two different kinds of people. Yes, the fool and the wise. So when we're talking about wisdom, we're not just talking about a subject. We're talking about the subject because it's the most defining reality that can be declared about those who, knows God, who know God. Are we a fool? Are we wise? In some ways uh, in this world, I, I, I just looked this up, in today's time, the amount of information doubles every 12 hours, but it doesn't make fools any wiser. It just gives them more areas in which they can be foolish. So who is the fool? Your notes tell us there the fool is born a fool. The blank is born. The fool is born a fool. Proverbs 22:15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a what? Yeah, you don't have to teach them, and here's why. They arrive foolish, do they not? Genesis 3 tells us they arrive foolish. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to, to hit their brother over the head with a baseball bat, right? Hopefully it's a plastic one. And they stay a fool until they come to Christ. So part of being a human being from God's perspective is understanding that we are a fool. Now, having that, what, what does the proverb say about what characterizes a fool? Well, they are the smartest people in the room. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of the fool is right in his what? Own eyes. 28, 16, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. He becomes the source of truth, the standard of right and wrong, which is ultimately idolatry. It's a religion of self-worship. They reject God because they don't want anyone commanding their lives. Secondly, a fool, Proverbs says in 14.9, is they mock sin. 
They cling to sin. They love sin. They live corrupted, self-destructive lives. They like, what's the big deal? They mock sin. Thirdly, they try to corrupt others. Proverbs 15, 2 says, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Why do they pour out folly? They have an agenda. They want to woo others to foolishness. <laughs> Fourthly, I want to sneak over a minute if I can to Psalms 14.1. This characterizes a fool. The fool says this is in his heart, there is what? No God. So what ends up happening is their minds, and we've talked about this before, cease to function about what is good and right and true to the one and living God. And in doing so, they really, over time of their lives, they will spiral into insanity. And, and look, we're seeing that in our culture today where we don't know what a woman is and we don't know what a man is and a thousand other issues. That's what happens. And then lastly, the most defining thing about fools in contrast to the wise person, and we're going to talk about the wise person next, is Proverbs 1.7. Fools despise wisdom. They hate it. One writer put it this way. He said, we are all born ignorant. Did I say that right? Ignorant? That's a Tennessee way to say it, right? But one must work hard to remain a fool. And oh my, work hard they do. So we have the fool. Then the scripture paints for us too a picture of the wise. What does the wise person look like? Well, here's what Proverbs tells us big picture. The wise person must learn to live wisely. The word is learn, must learn to live wisely. We must learn to live wisely because mine and your natural bent is to live like a fool. Part of our core makeup is that sin often does feel like, doesn't feel like sin to me. If we're honest, my sin, your sin often feels like life to us on the surface. And the reason is my heart is an idle factory and my mind is an excuse-making factory. <laughs> it's okay. It's not that bad. Well, it's not harming anyone. That's our natural bent. Here's what Jesus said on the cross. You remember some of his last words, not his very last words, but he said, forgive them for they know not what? Another way to put that is forgive them, Father, for they are born fools. And they remain a fool until they come to me. So the good news is, when you and I come to Christ, we have the potential, keyword potential, to be wise. The scriptures tell us, matter of fact, we have everything we need for life and godliness, for wisdom. I'll tell you what doesn't happen, though. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by some kind of emotional wishes. And many times it takes our loving, kind, but all-powerful God to bring about circumstances in our life that make us look him straight in the face and say, I need you because I am a fool, even as a believer. Anybody here ever been foolish as a believer? 
I just want everybody to raise your hand. That, that helps us listen this morning. Here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 4. My father taught me. My father taught me. 4, 5. Acquire wisdom. Get insight. You've got to learn it. It doesn't come naturally. 1, 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. 1, 20 and 21, Lady Wisdom screams an invitation in the street. And her invitation is, come and learn wisdom. 15, 9, God loves him who pursues righteousness and wisdom. And, and I love this passage. I saw it years ago in Proverbs 32 and 4. Because it gives us the perfect heart and mind posture to be a great wisdom learner. Proverbs 30. The man declares, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Why? He answers his own question. I have not learned wisdom, nor I have, do I have knowledge of the Holy One. When we get to that place where we're sick and tired of being sick and tired of us, we are at the perfect place to begin to grow and learn wisdom. Now, as a reminder to us, we're born a fool and we stay a fool until we come to Christ, and then we enter into our process of learning wisdom. The Bible calls that process sanctification. You are saved. You are in a process of growth called sanctification. And here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 18. He says, to us, to the people of God, to Christians who are being saved. What does he mean? Well, the scriptures teach us we are saved. That's justification. We are being saved. That's sanctification. That's where we are now in our journeys. And then we will be saved, which is called glorification. And in this process, we are indwelt. Think about this with the spirit of the perfectly wise person, the Lord Jesus himself. Matter of fact, in Luke 11, this is exactly what Jesus said. He says, I am the wisdom of of God. Thank goodness, huh? 1 Corinthians 30, Paul agrees. He says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. And then Paul uses three words at the end of that verse. Righteousness, there's justification, sanctification, and redemption, which is glorification. So, Jesus again says in Matthew 12, speaking of himself, a greater than Solomon is here. Man, we need to say amen to that. Because Solomon was a wise man, but he also did many what? Foolish things. Jesus says, I am wiser than him. I'm perfectly wise. I am a greater Solomon. I am wisdom personified. And what Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 1 is this. Think about how hard this is for us to grasp. He argues this point in several verses, a person must become foolish in the eyes of the world in order to become wise in the eyes of God. There's got to be 
I've flip-flopped. There's got to be an a inversion or we will never be wise. We must be able to come to the place where we look at what the world says and we go, no, that's foolishness. But most of us, including myself, have been stunned at how we look at something and go, oh, that's okay. So what is it? What is it that we, you and I need to do to learn to be wise? I, it's not a comprehensive list, but I, I think it will be helpful for us. I'm assuming we want to grow in wisdom. The first thing we must do, learning the way of wisdom, is remember it is easier said than done. Somebody say amen to that, right? I want to creep over or sneak over to one of the other wisdom books. There are actually three wisdom books in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And I, I, I want you to write down Job 28. It's a, it's a fascinating chapter. As I was studying this week, I, I remember Jen and I reading in our Bible uh, reading. We're way behind, but we're still, we're still doing it, right? So if you're not doing it, a little conviction and a little prodding there, keep going. But... Uh, a few months ago, we read Job 28. It's a fascinating chapter, and here's why. In verse 20, it says, where does wisdom come from? The context is, where can you find wisdom? And the, uh, the writer describes how the men of the day would drill down into the earth and all the effort and work and sweat that it took to try to find gold and silver. And the writer says, wisdom is, is hard to find. Wisdom, because you can't find it where you think you can find it, among us. And it takes hard work. And in some ways, the writer is saying it's a, it's a metaphor that it's hard to find wisdom. It's there, but you got to look in the right place. It's there, but wisdom is way more precious than gold and silver. And if we are to pursue wisdom like these men pursue we are to pursue wisdom like these men are pursuing gold because there's nothing in life worth more, not even precious gold and silver. So there's great effort. It is easier said than done. And, and look, I would be doing you harm this morning if I said, man, just, just open up a Bible verse, say 313, how blessed is the man that finds wisdom. For its gain is finer than gold. And if you memorize that, you're going to be instantly wise. No, it doesn't work that way. And I'll unpack what else it will take. But understand this. It is hard to be wise in a foolish world because you are fighting your own foolishness. And so am I. There's a clash, if you would, that takes place. So, Easier said than done. Secondly, is we need to tremble with delight. Tremble with delight. Now, if you've been here this summer, you know over and over and over again, the teachers up here this summer have talked about the fear of the Lord. Have they not? Yeah. So you're like, really? You're going back? Yes, because y'all not learning. <laughs> Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We've heard that verse this summer. 
Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Talked about it over and over. But I want to revisit this. And I want to revisit it because I put in my notes this word hugely. Is that a word? Hugely crucial. If we, the fear of the Lord is where everything else gets unlocked. We got to get this. That's how crucial it is. The fear of the Lord is the way that we see God, the way we are to see God as a magnificent, perfectly good and only God. And because of that, his people are to lean in on him for everything. That's a process of learning. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He says, the fear of the Lord, it is the overwhelmed devotion of children marveling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of our Father. I'm not sure. No, no, no. I am sure. <laughs> That's not how you and I see God. That's not the first thought we have. Yes, there is to be a healthy fear of God because he's indeed holy, but the right fear of the Lord, Ryle says, comes from this awe. Oh my, he is not like me. So how do we get the fear of the Lord? The scripture really tells us three things. Where do we get it from? Jeremiah 32 says, I will put the fear of men in their hearts, fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So we get it from God. Matter of fact, when we come to Christ, one of the evidences of salvation is we have this new sense of seeing God differently than we did before that promotes the fear of God in us. Secondly, we get it from our choices. So, so mysteriously, but truthfully, God gives it to us, but we play a part here. Here's what the proverb says, Proverbs 129. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of God. So it, it's, God does his part, but we obviously can do our part and not choose or choose. And then lastly, we get it from others. Second Chronicles 26, Uzziah set himself up to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the what? In the fear of the Lord. So there, that's learning. Like we need others to tell us about the fear of the Lord. And throughout all the scripture, it tells us why we're to fear God. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 10. So we can walk in his ways to love him, serve him, and obey him. Exodus 20. Fear of the Lord keeps us from sinning, and the fear of the Lord, in Proverbs 28 says, makes us confess our sins so our hearts will not get hard. If you and I are not confessing our sins, first you got to see your sin. Then you got to confess your sin. If that's not a normal rhythm of your life, make a notation. I am missing something about the healthy fear of the Lord. And when we learn all of who God is, and we can't, uh, uh, this is a bad saying, we can't learn, but as our comprehensive knowledge of God grows substantially, John Piper says this, and I agree. We rejoice in him so intensely that we tremble. We rejoice in him so intensely that we tremble because we see who he is and who we are. We tremble with delight 
versus trembling with angst or terror or dread. It's a whole way different way to tremble. And I've done both. Have you not done both? One writer again put it this way. None of us come to the fear of the Lord and to see God clearly without first having an awakening to our internal depravity, which leads to a fuller appreciation of God's holiness. So, easier said than done. Man, it's a hard ride, but it's worth it, right? It's hard work, the pursuit of it. It's contrast from everything the world tells us. So we're fighting external messages. We're fighting internal heart and mind messages but if we dig and we work at it, we will find wisdom. Trembling with delight, God is not like us. He is magnificent. I need to see him for all of who he is, just not a slice of who he is. And as that happens, we tremble in delight, not terror and dread. And then thirdly, I put on your notes, feast on God, feast on God. I don't know about you, but as I thought about some of the thoughts that I've had in my past as I grew in Christ, I, I felt some sadness about things that I've accused God about. <laughs> I felt some sadness about how I thought about him, how I approached him, how I ran from him. God responds to our mischaracterization of him in Psalm 50 with this question. You thought I was just like you? <laughs> you thought, and that's the problem, you thought I was just like you. So there's a question and a statement. And honestly, much of Christianity, both past, it's not new, there's nothing new under the sun, and present, has lowered God to a human level, robbing him of his glory, and it's as, as idolatrous as worshiping a, a rock. A.W. Tozer says this, the history of mankind will show that no people has ever risen above its view of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always, God himself. And the most haunting fact about any man is not what he is at even given time, at any given time, what he may say, or what he may do, but it is what he in his deep heart conceives God to be. Tozer says correctly, at any given time, a man or a woman can say stupid stuff, foolish stuff, they can behave in foolish ways. Amen, right? But he said the bigger problem, the most crucial problem, the most important problem is, will he continue to be a fool or will he grow in wisdom? And that will come from his view of God. Now, as I said, it's impossible to view God or to see God comprehensively. That day will happen at glorification. But I want us to be clear this morning in what the Bible is clear about. It says we can understand things about God that are true of him. His self-revelation about himself is accurate 
And our job is to feast on him, not nibble on him, not take a little snack on him, not wash him around in our mouth and spit him out. As my daddy said, boy, wrench your mouth out. You ever heard that? We don't wrench God out. It is to feast on him and to learn him. The Bible is God on God. It is autobiographical. Think with me a minute. Our culture marches by, by this worldview. Change with the times. You're old school. You're old fashioned. And yet our God is unchangeable. The word is immutable. His justice and character does not shift and slide with the fresh standards of our times that accommodate our sinful preferences. And look, over the years, 40 years of being a Christian, 18 years on staff, going on my 20th year here at Fellowship Bible Church, I've certainly had lots of conversation with folks. And, and I've met with folks who were always for years looking for loopholes in the scriptures, some crazy you know, verse out of context in the Old Testament that paints God as a bully or somehow shows him to be flawed or inconsistent, and they get hung on those. And boy, they're good. They, can, they, can, they know where they are. They don't know where John 3.16 is, man, but they know. They know where they are. And then what happens is he goes to build his case by going to other books who agree with him. And then he gets locked into a narrative about who God is and who he isn't. He's feasting on these other books and he's snacking on God's word. And when he snacks, he's snacking in cray-cray land. And the result is they may not forsake the scriptures. Like they're not going to throw this thing into trash. They've grown up with it but they will for show reinterpret the scriptures. They look to look, they love to look closely at the Greek words until their preferred sins disappear. You seen that in our culture? Ironically, I thought, looked up the Greek word for fool. It's called a moron. <laughs> that's a moronic act but it's true in light of that the Proverbs exhort us over and over to do this about feasting on God my son receive my words and treasure my commandments for if you do you will understand and find the knowledge of God who I really am, 420, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, for they are life to those who find them. Now, as a reminder, as I said earlier, I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I was in full-time ministry uh, for 18. I have preached over 400 sermons at Fellowship Bible Church. I have 100 hours, close to 100 hours to a, uh, at a seminary in terms of training, um, academic hours. I have over 600 messages speaking on biblical marriage and family. Like, I've had to be in the scriptures a lot, right? And in some ways, like Paul, and I'm obviously, just to be clear, I'm not the Apostle Paul, I'm not even close. But Paul gave his resume in order 
if you remember several times, in order to show, I still need. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to tell you, at 60 years old, there is no doubt. I know that my mind and heart, if I want to finish strong, is so fragile and so weak. And part of that's growing in wisdom. I don't have what it takes to finish strong. And so what I find myself doing is feasting on God more than I ever have. I'm stunned by it. What a guy who has, what's it called? PhD, not PhD. I don't have a PhD. Uh, what's it called? Learning, learning disability. I, I got it. I got it, right? Man, I just discovered something so sweet three weeks ago. I know I'm old to this game, but I can't run anymore. I got bad wheels, but I can walk, and I'm a wiggler, and I'm hitting 12, 12 and a half minute miles. You ought to see me. It's a fine demonstration of walking. <laughs> I've had some people I knew blow the horn at me. I know they're laughing, but I, the Lord loves me. I just keep going. But I, I've been walking every morning early, two and a half, three and a half miles, and I bought me some of those high dollar earbuds, and I've been listening to Scripture. Listen through the book of Proverbs numerous times. I need it. It's so good for my soul. Jen and I are still reading the Bible night, and I'm having personal times with the Lord throughout the week and studying to teach y'all. And, and the only reason I'm saying that is I need that. And if I need that, here's what I know. You need that. It's a beautiful way to feast on God. There's a commercial, you know it, it's a beer commercial. The most interesting man in the world, what does he say? Stay thirsty, my friends. The most perfectly wise man in the world says to us, stay hungry, my friends. Lastly, don't run with the herd. <clears throat> Inherently, we know this. We talk about it fellowship all the time. That is, live in biblical community. Isolation is bad. <clears throat> Connection is good, right? That's together is what? Yeah. So I don't need to dig into this. Proverbs, though, says 110, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent, my son. Do not walk in the way with them, for their feet run to evil. We know that who we surround ourselves has nothing to do with reaching non-Christians. Reach them, go get them. But who we surround ourselves with and how we do that is crucial to us growing in wisdom. I cannot tell you how many times I've looked across the table at our elders meeting going, man, I, I, uh, that was good. I need to apply that to my life. How many times I've been encouraged? How many times I've been corrected? And they know everything about me and vice versa. That's what it does for you. It helps you to be wise. But to us men this morning, and there may be some women too this applies. Certainly it applies in different areas. But the herd out there today, men, the herd is coming after you. It is happening like crazy in the area of sexual promiscuity. From porn to what goes on in our mind to actually acting it out. The herd says, go. 
But here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 7. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through the lattice, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. She seizes him and kisses him. Come, let us take our fill and love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. And he does not know that it will cost him his life. Men, the herd tells you that's okay. Do not run with the herd. It will cost you more than you've ever thought. Lastly, as we wrap up, how do we recognize wisdom? He said, Jeff, this is helpful. So I, very clear. I know what a fool is, hopefully. I know what a wise person is, right? We, we got a definition. Here's what it looks like. Next, I obviously know I need to learn wisdom. I never quit learning wisdom. And here's how it sort of happens, right? How do we recognize it once it happens? It's one word. What is it? It's powerful, powerful. Obedience. That's how we recognize it. Obedience from the heart. Not legalism. Not moralism. Not checking the boxes. I did this. I didn't do this. But it's a heart transformation of our, in our lives as we are seeking, pursuing, and learning the wisdom of the perfect son, Jesus himself. And again, I love how J.C. Ryle puts this. Wisdom is the habit of being of one mind with God. As we find his mind described in Scripture, remember he is not like us. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of him and his word. And so the so what I want you to try this week, I want you to do, is I want you to sometime during the week set some time aside to read all of Proverbs 8. As I listened to the book of Proverbs numerous times over the last few weeks, Proverbs 8 just kept sticking out to me. I, I, I think it's one of the purest, clearest calls to a life of wisdom in all the Bible. And so because of that, I want you to read Proverbs 8, getting this clear picture of this call of wisdom to the Christ follower in his life. And as you do, look at one of these four things that you need to take the next right step in. Easier said than done, man. I'm assuming it's going to be too easy. I need to get some context. This is the fight for my life. Trembling with delight. Do I tremble in terror of our great God or with delight? Do I feast on God or am I just living off, off old bread? And lastly, do I run with the herd? Do I run with the herd? Pick one of those. And man, take the next right step. And let's grow in wisdom. Amen? Take a minute to ponder those things.
opportunity this morning, and I'm so grateful for your word that just lays out for us very clearly about us being born a fool, about us staying a fool until we come to Christ, and I thank you personally on my behalf and every Christ follower in this room. I thank you that your agenda for us is not our agenda for ourselves. Our agenda for ourselves is we, we love our foolishness. We love our folly. But your agenda for us, your purpose for us is to bring us to the end of our foolishness and to grow us in wisdom. And so I thank you very specifically of how you are working in our lives. I thank you for the no to the answer prayers because it would be foolish. I thank you for the circumstances that come in our life that make us reform our ways because we're going down paths that do not honor you. That you will do whatever it takes to turn us into people who follow and are more like the perfectly wise one yourself. So for that, we are grateful. Give us insight and wisdom into our lives about areas of growth that still yet need to be wise. Protect us from ourselves, from foolishness. Help us not to follow the herd. Give us a desire to feast on God. Allow us to put great effort in this because it's more precious than gold or silver. We love you, and everyone said amen.